Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I'm glad to see each of you. As Carrie said, we're glad to have all of our visitors. I invite you back when you can be with us. I appreciate the prayer on my behalf. And it's always our desire that we would teach in a way that's edifying to the congregation, that we could make you think about the scriptures, make you challenge yourself, challenge your own life against the scriptures, and hopefully you'll be built up and edified by being here this morning. I've been doing a lot of reading in. Uh, the Gospels a little bit, and specifically in Luke chapter 4, I've been reading about the temptation of Jesus there. You might remember the story when he was led into the wilderness there and, and tempted by Satan, and I've heard many lessons over this in my life, but as I was reading through this, I kind of struck with um, kind of a new thought process, and I, and I hope to share that with you this morning. Luke chapter 4, uh, you remember there as he was led into the wilderness, and Beginning of verse number 5, it says, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you will, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. I was thinking about specifically the idea of Jesus being tempted. And I think a lot of times we think about Jesus being tempted and we kind of dis, or dismissive of it, dismissive of it from a standpoint of, well, he is the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's, yeah, he came and lived as a man, but he kind of had some tools that I didn't have. He kind of had some abilities that I didn't have. And I think about Satan tempting him here, specifically when he said, if you'll worship me, all this will be yours. He takes him up on this mountain or this high place and I don't know why, but I always picture Mount Everest when he does this. I, there was a show on Discovery a few years back where these guys climbed Mount Everest, and they, find, you know, they pay these expedition leaders all this money, and they train for months and months, and they're all really good mountaineers, but it's still a monumental task. And they get up there, and they finally show this view on top of the world. And they're literally on the highest place on earth you can be, looking out over all the world. And as Satan takes Jesus up and shows him all of this, and he tempts him with that. Jason asked the other night, do you think Satan really could deliver that? I don't know the answer to that. I know Satan says he could give it to him. I also know Satan was a liar. But I know many times when we're tempted, it's with stuff that is not really attainable too. So the fact of the matter is Jesus was tempted either way. If you will then worship me, it will all be yours. I was thinking about this question and this statement that all this can be yours. And I kind of asked the question, how much is enough? Jesus was offered everything here. He was tempted by Satan. He was offered everything. And I was thinking about how we view things in life, how much is enough. And I want to take a little time this morning and look at this story in the context of building a life of contentment. What does godly contentment look like? And how do we think about it? How do we obtain it? How do we view it? How do we keep it? How do we hold on to it? How do we help others with it? And think about how Jesus responded in this situation to think about how we can be more content in our life. And we're certainly money is a significant component of this. The scriptures talk a lot about money itself, but we're talking about stuff. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about our time. We're talking about power. We're talking about all of the things that we seek after in this life as humans, the stuff that dominates our thoughts and our lives and our efforts and our focus and our attention, all the stuff we spend our time and energy on trying to attain. How much is enough? When is it ever enough? When do you get to the point that it's enough? 
And I think it's really a fascinating question, and I hope you can kind of ask yourself these questions as we go through this this morning. I was trying to think of a good kind of hypothetical money-related question to ask, and I was thinking about different dollar amounts, and I've kind of settled on a million dollars. And so I want you to think about this morning, if I were to offer you, and I know you know that I couldn't fulfill this promise, but if somebody were to offer you a million dollars right now, no other savings, you got to throw out all the stuff you save. So if you're here older and you've been saving for retirement for 40 years and working and all that, you got to throw all that out. A million dollars today, quit working, retire, is that enough for you to live the rest of your life on? I don't need a show of hands or anything like that. I suspect we would get a lot of different answers to that question this morning. We have d- different people of different ages. Somebody that's here that's 75 might say, yep, I'll take the million bucks and run with it. Somebody that's here that's 20 might say, yep, I'll take the million bucks and run with it. And I look at somebody that's 20 and think, I don't know if a million dollars is enough. And I am fairly confident to say that there are hands, if we were to do a show of hands this morning, that would go up and say, yes, I'll take the million dollars. And I'm fairly confident this morning, if we were to say, let's see a show of hands on who wouldn't take the million dollars, that some hands would go up this morning, that a million dollars wouldn't be enough for them to do that, based on whatever factor that is, some different standard of living, a different age, maybe they are looking down the runway of life and thinking, I've got another 60 years I have to deal with, and I don't think a million dollars is enough to deal with that. Maybe they have some other standard of living. And my point this morning is that for as many different people as there are, there's different opinions on that, and there's different levels of what's enough in my life. There's different levels of what do I need in my life. And I suspect that if you were in the group that would take the million dollars, that you would get that million dollars and you would wake up tomorrow and there would be something in your life that is lacking. There would be something that your belly desires to have that that million dollars didn't fulfill. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about here this morning. How do we get to this point where we're content with what we have in life to where we're not always striving for those things? And I hope that you enjoy this study this morning and I hope that you can, can get something out of it. The truth is that there there's something in each of our lives that pulls on us, that pulls on our attention, that pulls on our efforts, that pulls us away from focusing on the things that we need to be focusing on. And that's what we want to figure out. How do we deal with that this morning? For me, travel is one of those things. I love to travel. And if you ask it in the context of how much is enough, there's not. There's not enough. I could be one of these Instagram guys that that's their whole job in the world is to go around travel the world and take pictures and I like photography I like going these places I mentioned before we we saved up this year and we did a senior trip and we went to Hawaii when Bentley graduated high school and we stayed in Hawaii for nine nights and we woke up uh, after the eighth night or our ninth day there we had one more day there we were going to spend the night and fly out early the next morning and we started kind of getting the end of vacation blues and so we started looking at all of our points we had built up, and Tara was looking at the hotel and said, hey, they, they must not have anybody for this week because they're doing it for like 30% you can stay in a night. So we did everything we could and rearranged our flights and all that junk, and we stayed another night in Hawaii. We stayed in a tenth night. And so we went to bed the ninth night, and we woke up with one more night ahead of us with an early flight out, 
And you know what? I felt the exact same way I felt on, on day eight. And it was never enough. And I think if I would have had enough points and enough money and could have done it and we would have stayed another two weeks, I would have woke up on that 18th day and wanted to stay a 19th. And that's how we are with all of this stuff in life, whether it's money or whether it's entertainment or possessions, and it's never satisfying. And it's a dangerous circle that we get into in life. And before you know it, we wake up and years and years and years have gone by and we still have not accomplished anything. How can we be content with this? How can we build the kind of godly contentment that will let us get rid of this focus on stuff? That's what I want to look at this morning. I think the important thing to call out with this is there is a, a strong tie between contentment or the lack thereof and temptation. And I think that's illustrated here in this story we're talking about. You think about all the times that, that you look at your life and you're not content with whatever it is, whether it's your financial situation in life, maybe it's a job, maybe it's relationships, whatever it is. Look at the role of temptation in that. Look at the role of our own lusts and our own desires and, and what they play in that lack of contentment. In verse number 3 of Luke chapter 4, there's three different temptations that, that we have recorded here that Satan tempts Jesus with. In verse number 3, the devil says to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, you, the context of this story is, as he was led into the wilderness here, he was tempted, you know, he spent 40 days here, was tempted probably with some other stuff that, that we don't have recorded, but he's absolutely a temptation. And I think that's back to the, to the whole human side of this, where we, where, we, where we take the human side of Jesus out of this and we think, well, there's a supernatural component. He's a son of God. He, he's not tempted to these things. Listen to what he says as this, as this chapter starts out. Verse number one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And what happened at the end of that? When they were ended, he was hungry. The scriptures call out the fact that he was hungry. He was absolutely tempted by this situation. And we can put this supernatural spin on it all we want, but the fact is he was a man and he was hungry. And it was a time where this was a clear and obvious temptation to him. The lesson for us is to recognize the fact that temptation is an enemy of contentment. When we don't learn how to properly deal with and handle temptation, it leads us to being discontent. And it's an enemy of it. And Satan, Satan pounces on these opportunities. Peter talks about him being a roaring lion. We watched him. I was just talking with Jackson. Jackson and I share a common interest in animal shows. And mine's probably not as strong as his, but it's a common interest nonetheless. There was a, a really cool series that was done by Nat Geo here recently, and this guy had, had all these new drone technologies to get all his footages and all this, and he was documenting a pride of lions in Africa attempting to, do a, a, attempting to document a pride of lions hunting these big African buffaloes. And you watch how these lions go about these hunts, and they're very coordinated. These buffaloes are huge animals. They can't, they can't take down one-on-one, -on -one, certainly. And even, even a pride of lions has a really difficult time taking down a full-grown buffalo. 
But you watch their behaviors as they hunt these creatures. And they'll circle the pride and they'll try to get them in a frenzy. They'll try to get them stampeding. And they'll try to get one of these little younger ones segregated off from the, from the, the rest of the buffalo. And that's exactly what they did in this hunt that they filmed. They somehow got this little one confused and it couldn't figure out where its mom was. And before long, it took five steps in the wrong direction and the lines had encircled it. And they pounced on it. And we look at it as being one of the crueler aspects of nature. You know, it's like, hey, pick on the big buffalo that can defend itself. But that's not how it works. And that's not how Satan works either. And that's not how he deals with temptation. And he latches on to those things. He knows when you've been 40 days without food, and he knows that you're hungry. And so the temptation that he throws right in Jesus' face is related to food. And it's directly related to how content we are with these things. And we've got to recognize and understand that. Now think about all the various things that we strive after in this world. As we read the commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. What's left uncovered by this? And we read these commandments. You shouldn't covet any of this. And what do we do? We go out and we covet our neighbor's house and we want his boat and we think his wife's pretty and all this stuff that he has and he's so loaded and has all this. And that's what we want and that's what we covet. And the scriptures are so clear on it and yet we spend so much time and energy on these things. And we're tempted because of our own lust. The scriptures say you're drawn out by your own lust. And all of this stuff that we set our hearts on, what else is there? He covers it all. Let's really try to dig in and understand. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is walking about having these conversations with the kind of common folk and teaching them and talking to them. And somebody comes up to him and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to them, Man, who who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus essentially told this guy, I couldn't care less about your money. Who cares how it's divided? You know, we we get wrapped up in all this stuff, and he said, who cares? But you should guard against it. You should guard against all this covetousness. And it doesn't matter if it's the money that you should inherit or your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or all this stuff. Guard against every bit of it. It's something that we have to be on guard for. Listen to the way Solomon summed it up. You know, he had all of these writings where he talked about all the stuff of life that he experienced, the the possessions that he had, the women that he had, the things that he did, the things that he saw, and he summed it all up as vanity. But this is a really good passage that talk, I think really describes what we're trying to talk about this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse number 7 says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Better is the sight of the eyes than a wondering appetite. What's he trying to say there? He's saying it's better for the person that can look at the things that he has in front of him Look at the things that are before him and be content with that than to strive after this appetite. Why is that? Because it's not satisfied. The appetite is never satisfied. It's never enough. 
We get what we think we need, and we want more. I remember right when I got out of college, got my first full-time job, I had a beater of a pickup that I was thankful for. I went to college with and didn't cost me any money, but I was stopping to fill that thing up with oil and every now and then getting gas time that thing was done. And I got my full-time job, and I went down to the Chevy dealer and bought a brand-new Chevy pickup, and that thing was nice and shiny, and black was a really cool color because it was clean when I bought it. And then, you know, a couple car washes into it, you're kind of wondering what you're doing with black. But I remember that car payment was $572 a month. And about four months into that, the newness of that wore off. And then it was $572 a month. And I was sick of it. And it was never, it's never enough. You got the new car and it's never enough. I wanted to get it paid off as soon as I can. And soon it was just stuff. It's never enough for us. And Solomon recognized that. And he, this kind of, this kind of two ways he describes how people look at stuff and summed it and how he ended up summing it up. He had it all from an earthly perspective and concluded that all that was just such vanity. What if you were the richest man in the world? Would that be enough? Would it be enough if you had all the money the world could offer you? This is Elon Musk, if you don't know. He's, I think, the richest man in the world today. It's probably flops between him and Jeff Bezos and some Walton and some old tycoon, and I don't, I don't know. You know, they, they lose billions of dollars weekly in the stock market and gain billions, and it's, it becomes a game to them. His net worth is estimated at about $249.5 billion. $250 billion this guy's worth. You think he's satisfied with things in life? That's a lot of money. That's a 25 followed by 10 zeros. If you write it out, you realize how big of a number that is. You take three commas to write that number. It's a lot of money. If you were to earn $250 billion, you would have to earn $4.8 million a week for the next 1,000 years. That is an insane amount of money. Do you think this guy is content with everything he has in life? Well, if you follow him at all or see him in the news, you know that that's not the case. I mean, this guy's trying to send people to space. He's done that. He's trying to put people on Mars. You think if he lands this rocket ship on Mars that he's going to be good to go, that that's enough? It's not. It's never enough, especially for guys like this. It's never enough. He wouldn't get where he was at if it was enough. But if he lands somebody on Mars, if he colonizes Mars, if he takes humans to Mars to live and does that successfully, what's the next planet? I'm not a, I'm not, I lost that science lesson a long time ago, but that's what he's going to be shooting for, whatever's next. And that's this pattern that we get into. Do you, are you jealous of Elon Musk? Are you jealous of this kind of wealth? I want to tell you, you can have something this morning that Elon Musk does not have and probably will never have, and that's contentment. You can have contentment in your life that he is never going to know. I saw somebody said they asked the rich guy, how much is enough money? And his answer was just a little bit more. And that's the attitude we have with all this stuff. And it doesn't have to be a rich guy. He's an easy target. But the truth is, if we look at ourselves in the mirror, we act like that with the stuff in life. It's never enough. I want one more day in Hawaii. I want 10 more days in Hawaii. Can't go there right now because it all burned up. But whatever your thing is, whether it's money or stuff or jealousy of other people's situation or whatever the case is, it's never enough. So what's the secret? 
how do we end this kind of madness to this cycle of chasing after all this stuff? The secret is that contentment comes from within, not from our circumstances. Too many times we want to give our circumstances credit both ways for things. We want to say, well, I can't be content because this happened in my life. This happened to me. So-and-so got this stuff. I didn't get that. That's why I look at their life and covet it. And it's a maddening cycle to try to chase contentment, blaming things on our circumstances. And it doesn't come from our circumstances. The prophet Habakkuk, and I haven't spent a lot of time in the book of Habakkuk, but I came across this in my studies. He's saying this prayer in chapter 3. It's a really interesting prayer, but listen how he talks about this concept. Habakkuk 3 and 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Isn't that such a good attitude to have? All of these various things that can happen, you your mind calls to Job and the stuff that he goes through and how he dealt with it. Contentment comes from within. If we we're going we to always blame contentment on our circumstances, he couldn't have had this kind of attitude. Based on these circumstances, nothing was going right. You know, if we're a farmer and we look and all of our crops are destroyed, nothing's producing, there's no fruit, what do we have to blame? I mean, it's a, it, it'll drive you mad if you blame it on circumstances. And the truth is, these things are going to happen in life. We're going to find this kind of stuff around every corner. So if we're waiting on circumstances to drive our contentment, it's never going to get there. We're never going to get there with it. And I think he recognized that. I think sometimes we, we treat contentment a little bit like it's a light switch, like it's just something that you just flip on and on. Something happens in our life, well, you need to be content. Okay, flip it on. It doesn't really work like that. It's more of a process. It's more of a a posture. It's more of a way we build our lives and how we respond to situations, how we develop our lives, how we develop relationships, how we develop an attitude toward godliness on whether we're able to be content with the things in life. Not this last switch. I saw a quote. um, A lady had written an article about contentment and how you get there, and she said, rather than it being like we just described, It's a state of the heart. It's a posture that must be cultivated by humility, surrender, and repeated trust in God's goodness and sovereignty. And I thought she summed that up pretty good. All these these different components make up a heart that can be content. If you can't trust God like Habakkuk did, then all of this stuff is going to be devastating. The stuff that happens in life is going to be devastating and sometimes fatal in terms of the way we look at life. But we have to be humble enough. We have to trust God. We have to build a relationship where we rely on Him and look at Him in that way. I think Paul had a really healthy perspective on commitment in Philippians chapter 4, this verse that is such a posterized verse we talk about. Philippians chapter 4. Listen to how he describes this here. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So these, these people show concern, but they couldn't really help him out. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about scoring the touchdown. It's about how do we be content? How do you be content? Well, I've seen hunger. I've seen plenty. He said, I've seen the low times. I've seen the times where things are struggling, but I've also seen the high times. And you know what? Somewhere in the middle is the level we need to get to. We need to understand that it's never as low as the lows and it's never as high as the highs. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When times are low, I can deal with it because Christ strengthens me and I can look to him. And when times are high, I'll thank him for that, but I'll know that it's not always going to stay that way. And I know how to deal with that. I can deal with the things because of Christ. It's not some posterized thing. I think contentment is something that avoids complaining. You know, if you show me somebody that's a complainer, I'll show you somebody that lacks contentment. And that's just a fact of life. That's just how things are. Contentment is not laziness. I think many times that we, we want to mask contentment with, with laziness or complacency. You know, we want to say, well, I'm... I'm uh, Maybe I'm not ambitious in something, right? I'm not taking care of business. Well, I'm, I'm content. Well, that's not the same thing. A godly contentment is not the same thing as lazy, laziness or complacency, especially with respect to godly things. Those are not the same things. And Paul figured that out. He figured out that there was highs, that there was lows. He experienced the need. He experienced abundance. And he figured out how to rely on Christ to get him through those times. And I think the really important lesson for us is that there is no contentment without God. And like I said, we want to treat this as it's a light switch, as, it's this, as if it's this standalone commandment that you, should, you either can be content or you're not. And it doesn't work that way. And if you go back and study, and we're going to read some of these, but if you go back and study contentment in the Scriptures, and you can do this really easy with a quick search, right? You can find a bunch of verses on contentment really quick and really easy. And if you go read all of those in context and look at how they're described, they're never talked about in a vacuum. They're always talked about with a life of godliness. And it's married with godliness. And there is no contentment without God. Paul, in his writing to Timothy, he has this little stretch here. And I think it's a really good encapsulation of what we're trying to talk about this morning. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and, dep and, and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. He kind of says a lot there, but he's teaching them about a godly life. He's teaching them about what godliness means. Look at some of those descriptions that he used. You know, he talks about somebody, if their teaching isn't in accords with godliness. So if people are teaching things that don't line up with godliness, that's what you should be watchful of here. Urge them to teach things that are godliness. And, and how he describes it, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. All of our thoughts and all of our, all of our actions and all of our plans and all of this stuff we do 
is striving after stuff that are gains that aren't related to godliness. But listen how he finishes as he goes on here. Verse number six, first Timothy, we're in 1 Timothy 6 here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Sounds pretty serious to me. The, this is an ESV translation of this. The, the, the old King James and New King James uh, word this, the love of money is the root of all evil. I think this is a little more accurate translation personally that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Can you literally trace every evil back to the love of money? I think that was kind of the traditional thought process on that. But we're missing the point. The whole teaching here is the the contentment. Godliness with contentment is the great gain. Not this view of money that the world teaches and how we look at all this stuff. And how are we able to do it with all this stuff? All this stuff that's bombarded on us by marketers and advertisers in the society that we live in. And that's nothing new. There wasn't you know, Facebook ads and Instagram targeting and all that stuff 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago. And people still dealt with the same problems. Hebrews chapter 13, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. You see how it's always married? It's always married together with contentment and godliness. They're never separated. We have a helper. You might remember in 2 Corinthians when Paul's describing, we're not going to read all this, but he's describing this thorn in the flesh that he was presented with and how he asked God to take it away from him multiple times, but yet it was something that he still had to deal with. What did he say at the end, verse number 10? For the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Why is he strong? because I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, all this stuff that we're not content with, when we learn how to have a godly contentment with it, it points back to the cross. It points back to Christ. It points to his power. How can somebody be content then with weaknesses and being insulted and hardships and persecution and all the stuff that he dealt with? How can somebody be content with that? It's because of Christ. It's because he believed he can do all things through Christ who strengthened him. I think about Jesus in the wilderness here, how he responded to Satan. First time he was presented with the opportunity to turn the stones into bread. How did he respond? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil takes him up and offers him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He wasn't going to bow down and worship Satan. He takes him up on top of the temple and tells him to cast himself down so that the angels will lift him up, tempting him with that power, that, you know, asking him to tempt God, and that's what he said. It is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Every one of his responses was back to God. You know, his, we try to respond with these temptations, and we think about all this stuff that we seek after. How would we have responded to this? We would have said, I'm not hungry or something like that. I'm not, you know, I don't really, this power that you're offering me 
being over every one of these kingdoms of the earth, that's, that doesn't really do anything for me. See, the focus, the focus wasn't on him. The focus is on us. We fail. When we say we're not hungry, we know we're hungry, and we know we're going to give in to that. And our focus is in the wrong place, and so we do give in to that. And we're never content with it. But the focus was on God. And many times we try to lean on our own strength in this, which we know is futile, but we have to fill the void with something. Lots of things in life, when, we, when there's a void there, there's a vacuum there, it, if it doesn't get filled with the proper thing, then it leads to bad things. And so we have to fill that with this godliness. If you want to be able to be content and resist these t- kinds of temptations, it's got to be filled with God. It's got to be, that space has to be filled with something else. And so as we think about this situation, I think it, as we close, there's one important question that we need to answer, and that is, what was enough for Jesus? You think about these things that he was offered here. What was enough for him? What was enough for him that he could look at all the kingdoms of the earth and say, I don't need that? That he wasn't tempted to turn the stones into bread or to to tempt God with showing off his power and saving him from falling from the temple? What was enough for him? I think Hebrews chapter 12 sums that up really good for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. What was enough for Jesus? I'll tell you what was enough. It was you and it was me. It was enough for him to not want all of these things. It was enough for him to care about God's will. It was enough for him to care about fulfilling God's will and the plan that was laid out before he ever came to earth. It was enough. It was a focus on God. It was a focus in his life that made all of this stuff not matter. And it's a posture in our lives that we need to develop, that we need to cultivate, that we need to help each other with. We need to understand the impact that godliness has on our contentment. You were enough, and I was enough, because he was focused on God. I want to ask you this morning, how much is enough for you? How much is enough in your life? Maybe you're preoccupied with money. Maybe you're just starting out in career. we got all our young people here. You start out in your career, you're going to be pressured to think about money and making more of it and getting more of it and getting more stuff, and you're going to be pressured to keep up with your neighbor, and you're going to be pressured to covet your neighbor's stuff. And I don't know how how to say that any more bluntly, but the fact that we live in a society that pressures us to do the exact things that God asks us not to do, and these are going to be pressures that you're going to deal with. Think about this idea of of contentment. It's not just a yes or no answer. It's not just you're going to be presented with a situation and say yes or no to being content with that. You have to change your mindset. You have to build a godliness that goes along with this contentment. I'd urge you to do that this morning. Figure out how much is enough in your life. Because I can tell you, if you rely on these worldly things, you're going to wake up the next day and you're still going to be unsatisfied. Your belly's still going to be craving more. You're going to be looking for the next thing. What's the dollar amount? You know, you think about 
planning for retirement. You listen to these financial advisors or some stockbroker or you know, somebody administering the 401k plan at your job, and they, they all want to tell you how much money you need for retirement. Is the million dollars enough for you? You know, you couldn't get an answer to that question that was remotely similar from 10 financial advisors. There'll be some tell you, you need three million or five million. Well, three million for what? Well, if you want to maintain a 100K lifestyle. Okay, what about with 10% inflation? Does that work? You see, it's just a maddening cycle. So when you try to answer the question, how much is enough, turn your attention to God. And if you're here this morning and you need help with that, the answer is Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ can strengthen, who strengthens me. Start there. It's not, it's not a flip of a switch. It's not something you're going to do and all of a sudden you're going to be content. You have to cultivate it. You have to work on it. But it's the right start. If you're here this morning and you need that in your life, I urge you to consider that this morning. And hopefully you've been edified by the study this morning and built up. And uh, I'd urge you to continue to study this. You can find a ton of information on this that we haven't even hit on this morning. We want to offer an invitation at this time. If you have a need, if, you, if you're lacking something in your life, if, if you have that feeling that something's missing in your life, we can help show you what that is. And the answer is Jesus. If you have any need the church can help you with, we invite you to come as we sing this invitation song.